Hi, this is John Barnes, and you're listening to Cop On. Ah, the birds. The beautiful sound of birds outside the window. You can, you can enjoy sounds of nature and enjoy just so much more of the world around you after a Liverpool win, I find, as, as strange as that is to non-football fans. But I'm delighted to be joined uh, by Holmes from Yanks of the Cup, by Dan from the Mighty Reds TV, and by Rick Dwerden, who is uh, a, a writer, a journalist. He's, he's had his work uh, published on Empire of the Cup, amongst other things. And he's uh, at Rick Dwerden, D-U-E-R-D-E-N, on Twitter. Um, thank you, all three of you, for, for joining. We have a, a trio of debutantes on Cop on Podcast, and you're all very, 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 very welcome. And uh, my first question to you is going to be about the game that uh, happened yesterday as we're recording this. Today is Monday. Yesterday was Sunday, and it was the game when Alison Becker, Alison Ramesses Becker, went up for a corner in the 95th minute and bulleted a header uh, Fernando Torres style into the corner of of the goal and Holmes I'm going to start with you um, because I just want to ask you uh, where were you when Alisson scored and how did you celebrate that incredible goal? Uh, I was doing a, a live watch along yesterday uh, when the goal happened in fact um, my stream had broken so there's a picture going round of um, my other two hosts celebrating and me not actually celebrating because my stream had broken. So <laughs> when I got a working stream, I caught up and I was jumping for joy all over the living room, like screaming top of my lungs. Um, yeah, I think at that point I was thinking it's going to end a draw. So I was, actually, I was actually more thinking about why is Addison going up? Like we might get caught in a counter attack. But yeah, like I think that goal signified to me it was meant to be for us to be in the Champions League next year. And it's kind of like fate. Um, and it felt iconic. You know, like the Origi goal, the Firmino goal back in 2015-16 against Stoke. It felt like one of those iconic goals that people can remember. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I don't think I've, uh, I the last time I shouted that loud in celebration was when we won the league title. Uh, so, a few of my neighbours, my next door neighbours next to me, the next day said to me, like, what was going on yesterday? Because you heard loads of screaming. So, yeah, I was, I was live on podcast. That's really good. That's a really good answer. Thank you very much. I mean, were they were they, were they a bit scared, your neighbours? Were they like, is everything okay? Yeah, I mean, they, obviously, because uh, they, they often hear me doing podcasts and screaming. But they're like, yesterday, like, we thought, like, you were actually in trouble. We didn't want to disturb you, though. Um, but then when you stopped <laughs> screaming, we thought, everything Okay. <laughs> Well, either that or or not, but okay, yeah, okay. <laughs> That's a great story, excellent stuff. Uh, thank you very much, yeah. Uh, so, Dan, I'm going to ask you next. I mean, Holmes, uh, brilliant answer. He said, you know, use the words iconic, you know, fate, uh, these kind of words. Um, how did you celebrate and how did you feel about it and where were you, Dan? Well, Owen, I was I, I was at home and like Holmes, I was watching it on a stream and I was just I, I was watching on my laptop with my earphones in. And, um, it, it was funny really because obviously watching on the stream, I knew it was somewhat behind. I wasn't too sure how much, but obviously at that stage in injury time, I thought 
in real life, if you want to call it that, in real time, maybe would be more uh, suitable. In real time, the game was over, and I was already picturing flicking onto Twitter when it finished and seeing all the obituaries written by you know the usual faces saying, "No Champions League chances all but over, hanging by a thread," and I, I was I was dreading it. And then when that wonderful flick of Allison's header, you know, sent it towards the, the far corner. The first thing I did, I couldn't wait. I went onto Twitter because I was scared of some sort of VAR call. And I thought, if there is a VAR call, I could not sift through the next three or four minutes of watching all these replays and these lines being drawn. Obviously, it couldn't be offside because it was a corner. But I thought, you, you know, you never know what sort of marginal sort of de- decision they're going to or arbitrary decision they're going to make. So just very quickly, knowing that the game was over, just flicked onto Twitter and it was all like, Everyone celebrating them and everyone made up, and I was just so overjoyed. I jumped out of my seat. As I explained to you before, we started the chat. I've got two young kids. My girlfriend was in work, so they were just sort of quite nonplussed. So I was just playing with the toys, just thinking, "What? What's up with Dad?" Like, you know, because I just jumped out of my seat. Um, and it was it was wonderful. Luckily enough, though, they, they, they've got a bit they've got a bit bigger now because I have actually done that before and made them cry. Uh, I think the first time was when it was when uh, Sturridge, not Sturridge, where was a man scored the win in the derby late on, and I jumped out of my seat. And my little girl was playing; she was obviously only one. She was like, she started crying. And then a couple of seasons later, when Salah got the win, not the not the winner, the goal against Man City in the Champions League, and I done it then. And that time there was two of them because there's only a year between them, and they were both crying then. But this time they just sort of looked at me like, "What's that doing?" His dad lost lost the plot. But other than that, it was brilliant. It was one of the best best moments of the season. Yeah, it was fantastic. That's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, they they're used to it by now. They've been around for the Jurgen Klopp years. Yeah, they just think I'm a bit soft now. Well, when as I say, I've upset them a few times, but they, now they're not really. I don't know whether it's just because they're a bit younger, but they're not really massively into football. I'm not worried if they don't get into it. But yeah, they, they were just a bit nonplussed and just looked at me, thinking, "Has Dad lost the plus again?" But um, yeah, other than that, it was brilliant. That's totally wonderful. Excellent stuff. And Rick, what about you? Welcome to Cop On as well. It's really nice to hear these stories. Where where were you? How did you celebrate? Thanks for having us on, Owen, first of all. Um, I have similar stories to the, to the other two lads, actually. I was I was watching it on Sky, so I, wasn't, I didn't have a stream, but I don't know about um, where you guys were. The weather was horrendous um, in, in Worcester, where I live. Not too far away, actually, from uh, from the Hawthorns. And the heavens absolutely opened up. So between, it was about, I don't know, between about 70 minutes and 85 minutes, my sky cut out completely. So I'd gone to following it on Twitter. I was updating by the second. And then you're hearing Trent's Mr. Sitter. You're hearing it's a good save by Ali. You're not too sure what's going on. You're starting to give up hope. Um me and me and my other half, who's a massive red as well, we were both about to just give up on the match and think, right, we'll go put the baby uh, in in a bath and get her ready for bed. Um, and then, boom, the, the TV came back on on the 85th minute. So we both kind of thought, right, okay, we'll sit down and watch the last five, kind of almost giving up hope. Do we go bath the baby? Do we not? And then, and then up steps the big bearded Brazilian and he flicks it in the corner of the net. And, and it's just... It was crazy. We, I mean, our, our daughter, she's nine months old, so um, she's perhaps not as used to us doing this as uh, as, as Dan's kids. But he, uh, she um, she looked at us, at us like we were a pair of lunatics, really, and we were just jumping up and down, but trying to keep it down as well. We were trying to be contained because we didn't want to upset her. But 
Um, I mean, yeah, it, it was just fantastic. She, uh, she, she's used to a bit of Jamie Webster, and we do a bit of singing along to that. But to actually look at us, I think uh, she must have thought we were we were we were out of our minds. But um, no, it was just fantastic, just just brilliant. That's absolutely great. I'm sure you could show videos to your kids when they're older, and uh, you know, explain their you know their previous uh, sort of traumas from their infancy, uh, and, and they will totally get it, and they will be completely cured. Uh, but no, yeah, uh, that's amazing. That's amazing. Um, uh, but I better give you my story, um, you know, just to complete this question, because um, I freaking missed it. I freaking missed it uh, because um, I was. But it's my fault. I've been blaming myself in a way. I mean, of course, I can't be too selfish. I'm obviously delighted for the win and I'm delighted it happened, but I'm a little bit gutted I missed it because I was watching the game. I stayed with the game and really for the first time since the Graham Souness years, and I'm not even kidding you, uh, I was about 11 years old when when uh, Liverpool played Auxerre and we lost the first leg, I think it was in the old UEFA Cup, and we lost the first leg 2-0, and uh, there was a return match at Anfield, and I just I just didn't even turn it on because I thought we're, we're, we're rubbish and we're not going to win. And uh, we came back to win, I believe it was 3-0, and then 3-2 on Agri, and I missed the entire match. And from that moment, I said I would never give up on this team ever again. Now I'm 41 years old, it's some 30 years later, and... Um, I didn't get, I've never, I'd never given up on a team apart from yesterday when it was West Brom and, and, you know, Hal Robson Carnu, it was his first goal in four years in the Premier League. His first goal in four years. But was I surprised? Was I heck? Of course I wasn't. Because it's this season, it's the 2021 season. But I was so deflated when that goal went in and Big Sam immediately switched to a back nine. And uh, I, I, through the whole match, I'm like, oh, yeah, amazing goal. We'll get on to talk about what happened in the match in a bit. But then at the end, it was injury time. And I was just like, I was so depressed. I was so like, this team is not going to do it. I was so sure. And, you know, a call of nature. I needed a tinkle. And I thought, am I going to wait till half time? It got to the 93rd minute, uh, 94th minute, actually, the beginning of the 94th minute. And we've been pressing and pressing so well, so well for the last five or 10 minutes. And I thought, yeah, but we're just not going to do it. And it's just absolutely scandalous. And then when I came out of the toilet, I saw Jurgen beaming. I saw everybody falling on top of Alison Becker. And I just said, oh, my Lord, he scored. And in a way, it's probably glad, um, I, I, you know, it's probably a good thing in a way because the last time anything like it happened was the Divock Origi goal, of course. And that uh, my friend actually was was recording my reaction because he's an uh, American guy, follows baseball, doesn't follow football. And he was sort of intrigued by my reaction. So he was sort of recording, unbeknownst to me, I promise you, I did not know that. And I screeched at such a high pitch. Um, like really high pitch, like uh, I mean, you said you you have young children. Your young children, your infants, would not be able to hit that note that I hit when Divo Kariki scored. And um, uh, you know, I, I, but yesterday I missed it, so that was probably good for my health. 
But what a moment and what a beautiful story for Alison Becker with all the things that happened to him. Jurgen Klopp called it a moment of light. I've seen fans, you know, just basically called on the spirituality of the whole thing. Um, you know, there's a photo of, of Nat Phillips looking like an angel as he jumps next to uh, Alison Becker. There is the the Lord is my shepherd on the stands. Um, you know, you're talking about fate. You're talking about destiny. This is somehow transcendental, this goal. Uh, it's absolutely unbelievable. And even if you didn't see it live, if your stream crashed, if your, you know, your, your sky didn't work because the, the heavens were open, I just hope you had, uh, you know, you could just enjoy it as much as I have, because it's been absolutely brilliant to see all the content, to see all the things today, the photos, the videos. And my next question, I'm going to go back to you, Holmes. Uh, do you have a favourite photo or video from yesterday? My Mine is probably that one where Nat Phillips genuinely looks like an angel ascending to heaven next to Alison Becker. Uh, I think my favourite one is a Titanic one, um, just because of... Uh... The moment when he heads it and it's like you're here there's nothing to fear um <laughs> I, yeah I, I think i've watched that video like must have been over like 20 times you know <laughs> because like i said it was that iconic for me and it was that it kind of made me it saved our season for me you know like that feeling so because i think at that point like i said i was actually very worried so yeah watching that video is actually gonna be watching it most of the day um has actually made my day go quite quite good so i think that's the other one i've been watching um but i also like the rock one with the rocky music um that's been quite good as well so i think it's between one of those two the two solid choices but yet titanic the titanic music um uh wonderful stuff my heart will go on my heart will go on watching this video it will just go on and on watching this video 20 times is very it's very conservative from you uh their homes. I mean, you know, uh, but uh, you know, uh, catch up with the rest of us. I mean, I'm on about 150 times probably. Uh, but uh, no, I'm only checking. Uh, what about you, Dan? Um, you know, the, we've brilliant calls there by Holmes. The Titanic version, the Rocky version. Do you have a favourite? Yeah, no, they were they were obviously great choices by Holmes. But I think Robin, the sort of fan-made um, social media stuff. That was that was great in its own way. I think the thing that really got me yesterday that touched me a little bit actually. I don't know where I'm getting a bit old. I'm getting a bit sentimental. Was was Alison Becker's interview after the game? I mean, obviously drained, you know, physically tired from playing a game. But he, he looked he looked really emotional. He looked really drawn, and he was talking about you know obviously the death of his of his father and. How he'd had some letters from people in football. He mentioned Everton. I think he mentioned Pep Guardiola at Manchester City. It's always nice to see, you know, because people forget we're rivals. We're not enemies, and that was it was nice to see. And I think he said there was some other clubs who, you know, there almost too many daily to mention. But you could actually see that Alisson was. I think he, he looked like he was he was really struggling. He was really emotional, and it got to a point with me, Owen, that I couldn't continue watching. The interview, I had to just flick it off because it was it was it was getting to me watching him, and I think that's the thing more more than anything that of all of the things I've seen on Twitter and social media and YouTube and all the celebrations which are all brilliant and all the memes and and the one of um Allison as Christ the Redeemer and all that sort of all that's brilliant but I think the thing that really sort of struck a chord with me 
was seeing how much it affected Alison and how much it meant to him. And I think he said something like, I hope my dad is, is will be sat next to, to God and he's enjoying enjoyed the game. And I just thought that was that was that was really that was wonderful. Like it was really nice. So that was that was the thing going that that did it for me, yeah, more than anything else. No, it's a beautiful answer. Absolutely. Um it it goes back to what I was saying. There's something spiritual. I'm, I'm being genuine. There's something spiritual about this goal. The fact that it was Alison with all the tragedy that he's been through. You're absolutely right. It's a beautiful answer, Dan. Um, yeah, it was a it was a, it was a terrific interview. So passionate and and uh, bravo to the to the interviewer because he just you know he let him speak. He just gave him the mic and <clears throat> you know Alison was just allowed to 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 speak his mind and. Um, you know, there were some great shots uh, from, um, I saw one video from Fabinho inside the dressing room when Fabinho was just, you know, flicking the camera over from the selfie mode to the change room. And it, just to see Alison, he was just sat down talking to one of the players and you could see all of the emotion on uh, Alison's face and even Fabinho's. And we were all a bit emotional, weren't we? Uh, Rick, uh, what's what's you know what about you? What's uh, did you do? You have a favourite photo, video, meme, interview from yesterday? I think the thing that struck me is it's a similar answer to dance. To be honest, Owen, it, I, I tweeted straight after the match saying um, I was in bits watching Ali walk off in tears, uh, and I, I just went on to say what a beautiful, beautiful man he is, and obviously he's a very handsome chap, but. Um, just on the inside as well. I mean, he's got his faith, which you you may believe in what he believes, you may not. That's not it's not really the point of any of this, but it's just his devotion that he's got to living the life in the way that he wants to live it. Um, I, I don't know if you've managed to catch what his wife uh, put on one of her social media accounts about him afterwards the game after the game as well, and that had me in bits as well. He's, she just she's so proud of him and not just as a football player, but as a man and the way that he's dealt with the the most tragic thing that you can almost deal with. And to deal with that in the public eye on the other side of the world. And and we forget Alison Becker's twenty eight years old. You know, we look at these guys, these footballers, and we, we in a way we we hold them in esteem like we do our own fathers and they're kids, aren't they? Like I said, he's 28. He's a young lad dealing with all of these things with the eyes of the world on him. And he's had a dodgy season in terms of form. He's had his ups and he's had his downs. But recently, he's just he's, everything's coming together for him. And, and I just felt if anybody, if any single person in our team deserved that, that moment for themselves, it, it was him. And I was just, I was made up with it all, just overcome with the whole thing. And it's just the second you see Jurgen Klopp on the pitch and, the players see him and they just collapse into his arms, whether it be Adam Lallana on Klopp's debut back against Spurs all those years ago or Hendo after after the Barcelona game or or, or after Madrid and, and then and then Ali yesterday when he just he's in tears hugging 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 the boss and it it's just everything. I think it was just how proud everybody was for him because it's really then that you know that this guy is truly, truly loved by by everybody who he touches and uh, I, I'm just made up for him. I was absolutely made up that he got that moment. Um, so yeah, so yeah, it's for you, Ali. Beautiful answer. Absolutely. I did. I I hadn't seen. 
I haven't seen uh, what, what his wife said, but I will go in and check it out because I'm sure. I mean, she's probably, uh, you know, if she feels, you know, an inch of how how proud we all feel of, of Ali, then, uh, you know, she feels a hell of a lot of pride. And I'm sure it's it may even be even more than the pride and the love that we all feel, which is absolutely uh, insane. But he deserves it. He deserves it. Let's go on to talk about the match itself then. Um, and Big Sam, Big Sam, he would have been crying into his pepperoni flavoured bovril uh, at the end of the match because um, uh, he, well, you may have seen it, uh, listeners and, and the people here, that he, he basically um, was very bitter, embittered at two decisions. The first of all, the first one was the drop ball stroke free kick thing that for our first goal um which uh big sam was completely wrong um unfortunately enough i i was teaching uh english to uh one of the top referees in france only this morning which is uh, quite a handy person to talk to on a day after a few controversial decisions and the um, we we talked about controversial, as we always do, controversial incidents from the weekend, and he said, uh, "No, there's, you know, Big Sam's got it entirely wrong because the laws of the game said, say that it's a drop ball if the ball touches the referee. Okay, so if you're playing a pass and the and the ball hits the referee before hitting your player before going to your player, then it's a drop ball. But if in like in this context, Mike Dean was just in Fabinho's way, so he was like obstructing the player from getting the ball, then it is a free kick. So it was the absolutely the perfect decision by Mike Dean, and I'm not uh, defending Mike Dean. We might talk about him later, but. I thought he had an awful match, but that he was perfectly correct with that decision. Um, and the other one that Big Sam was talking about was the offside or not. And again, you know, one of the top referees in France did, uh, you know, you can refer. I, mean, I believe it's law 11 in the international laws of the game, which refers to offside. And it's as blatant as you can get. If you see the photo that I've put in the agenda, perhaps. Uh, the people are, are, you know, who are on this call can see it, but you can find it as well. There's a, there's a, there's a still of the West Brom player uh, who is in an offside position, exactly perfectly in Alison Becker's line between Alison and the ball, and it's offside every single day. So Big Sam may think he has some kind of. Uh, justification for his grievances but as usual no he is a jabber-esque um probably most probably flatulent um pie guzzling uh anti-football uh gourmand and uh holmes uh allardyce aside the first goal the west bromwich albion goal how much blame are you going to put on Reese Williams, who didn't make it, make contact with the header where he should have done? How much blame are you going to put on uh, the covering defenders for not being able to stop Hell Robson Carnu? Or are you just going to say no? It was a good finish, and it was one of those one of those goals that that just happens. You know, I said on my podcast uh, last night that um, we. We have to remember, like, look, we Reese Williams is only a kid, you know, and, he, and if it wasn't for the freak injuries we've had this season, he wouldn't be playing. So, 
you know, he's come in and had to do a job. And yeah, obviously, there's some people might feel that he might not be the required standard to be a starting centre back or be one of our main four centre backs. But these issues that happened in the game are going to happen when he's when he's playing, you know, because I think that goal just it's easy to blame him. And yes, he did his positioning wasn't great, but I think that goal came from a, a number of factors. The fact that we have no lead at the back, there's no one in that back four that's actually shouting instructions or, you know, taking leadership. And also then Alisson as well. I think I think you notice when Alisson has centre backs that he hasn't got full confidence in, he doesn't bark on the orders to them or he's not, because normally Van Dijk would normally is there, or gamers, they normally talk about how you can hear Alisson barking orders at them and shouting at them. I don't think he does that properly with Phillips or Williams when they're playing or whether it's Phillips or Kabak. He doesn't have the same kind of trust in them and he often makes rash decisions and because he doesn't have the confidence in them. So I think it was a combination of, you know, the defence not having a leader and then also the fact that, you know, there's not... You know, obviously when you're chopping and changing centre-backs, it's hard for them to have a clear understanding. So I think obviously like when that ball happens, I think Trent and Phillips should should notice to, to know to come over and offer some kind of protection. And also I feel that Fabinho should have done like the midfield should have done more in terms of stopping that ball from even happening. So I think I think we're going to see those kind of goals continuously, potentially in the Burnley game and in the Palace game because. You know, the lack of leadership, lack of understanding between the players that went to push up, went to drop back, um, and also the midfield sometimes not offering protection it needs to protect the defence. Because a lot of the times we get beaten by easy balls that's over the top or down the flanks um, that wouldn't happen if you if you had a Van Dijk or Gomez or a Matic there. So... I think we just have to accept it, you know, the fact that, you know, Reese Williams is going to make these mistakes, you know, and, and they're going to happen because, you know, like, he's only a kid and he shouldn't be playing. But unfortunately, he's having to play. And we're having to take those kind of hits of his inexperience and sometimes him not being the best tactically or positionally in terms of reading the game and where and where no to track his marker or, or the danger. Um, so... I've, I've blamed Reese before for other games, like the FA Cup. And I didn't want to attack him this weekend because I thought, look, you know, we've got, what other choice have we got to do other than play Reese Williams, Williams with Phillips? So these things are going to happen. People, teams are going to get in behind us regularly. Because even in that second half, you know, West Brom had a few chances where they broke behind us because, again, of the, you know, the lack of pace and position sometimes of Reese Williams and Phillips. So... It's going to happen because of, you know, because, you know, they're not a Van Dijk or a Gomez or a Matip. So we can't expect them to play to that level. You're absolutely right. It's absolutely brilliantly. It's a, it's a marvellous, marvellous summary. Uh, um, I, I, I won't blame him as well. I mean, there, there are just a couple of things, as, uh, as you so rightly say about him, but a couple of things that... You know, everybody knows already that Reese Williams is is down on the pecking order. But when you actually hear where he is on the ranking, 
actually say all the names it does put it into even you know more more of a concrete context i mean he's behind virgil van dyke joe gomez joel matip nat phillips kabak fabinho henderson the lesser spotted ben davis possibly if he's ever fit and then so that would place reese williams ninth on the list of center backs or eighth, if you want to argue with me, that he's above Ben Davis in, in on that list. It's absolutely nuts, our injury uh, li- uh, list in that position. Um, but also, as you so rightly say, his age. He was born on February the 3rd, 2001, um, making him today 20 years old and 103 days, or basically a wee whippersnapper in the whole uh, you know, school of, of 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 defending. I mean, he's still in the in the kindergarten, isn't he? Um, that's absolutely marvelous summary. Thank you very much, Holmes. Um, our goal, our first goal, um, is of course not going to be talked about as much as Allison's, which will live forever. But that goal by Mo Salah, uh, Dan, was something utterly incredible i mean the commentator i was talking i was listening to sorry the commentator i was listening to the french one was talking about you know it was a chance you know he doesn't need much of a chance mo salah but this one wasn't even a chance and the way that he curled that ball into the bottom corner to you know rekindle uh you know the fire of 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 that game and our season in general at these Champions League hopes, it was really something absolutely special, wasn't it, Dan? It was absolutely, it was absolutely wonderful, wasn't it? it, it as as you sort of touched on there, it, it almost came out of nothing. We hadn't really made a great start. We were we were flattering to deceive really going forward. We hadn't really made any inroads into this as a low block. We had a goal behind, and it just looked like. It's just going to be one of those those horrible... Well, it was. It did turn out and be one of those horrible, ugly games. But at that point, you know, we, we, we the goal never looked on. And I think it was it was some good way... Obviously, good work off Fabino in the first place, taking the quick free kick. I, I'll i be honest, I thought that it's... I, I didn't know the rules specifically that you said before. I thought it should have been a bounce ball, off the, a drop ball, sorry, off the, off the ref. So I'll hold my hands up. I was wrong on that one as well. But yeah, good thinking off Fabino, getting it so quickly. Mane, obviously then, done some good work. But then, as you said, it wasn't a half chance. It wasn't a chance. It was just, just a, a, a shot, really. A hopeful, well, a hopeful for, for us as fans, not for Mo Salah. He, he would have fancied scoring. And he did. I think it went in off the post, didn't it? It was absolutely inch perfect. I've said it before. I think Mo Salah is probably, as ridiculous as it sounds, the most underappreciated player, an underrespected player in the Premier League. And funnily enough, some of the people that underappreciate him the most is, is Liverpool fans. I often hear people say, you know, they wouldn't mind seeing him sold for if we if that fund them back or that fund Haaland. And I'm like, well, if they come in and did what Salah's done. We'd say what wonderful signings they've been. Mo Salah has been brilliant for Liverpool. They should be building a statue of that guy outside Anfield. He's an absolute brilliant, brilliant player. And yet, yeah, what an absolute goal that was. Where would we be this season without him? He's been fantastic, hasn't he? Um, he stepped up to the mark. Listen, 
at times, like the rest, like the rest of the team's performances, maybe haven't always been the best, you know. But but you've got to remember the whole team has been stuttering and, and stalling and 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 just just chugging along and not really being that slick, efficient machine. So how could you expect Mo Salah to to be to be functioning on 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 full, you know, capacity? He hasn't. But the one thing that you'd always guarantee with Mo Salah. His goals and important goals, and that was another important goal yesterday. He's absolutely brilliant. I love the guy, and I just hope and pray to whatever God that is that he is the club are prioritising very quickly a new contract with whatever, without wanting to sound like Rio Ferdinand, let him sign whatever numbers he wants, get the piece of paper in front of him <laughs> and get the job done. He's an absolute brilliant, brilliant player and that was another wonderful goal off him yesterday. Owen. Yes, we wouldn't want to jinx it with the Rio Ferdinand uh, sign here or whatever he was doing. Uh, but no, absolutely, I totally agree, Dad. I totally agree. For me, that would be the best business, best signing of the summer. You can keep your Mbappe, you can keep your Haaland's if Mo Salah signs a new contract, in my opinion. That's just as good because that he is he's a true genius. He's a true genius. He's never ever been underrated on cop on podcast at least because I will not tolerate it. Um, absolutely excellent answer. Thank you very much, Dan. Um, uh, Rick, the the we we I mean we've we've already talked about the winning goal enough, but uh, the person who set it up, I want to talk about. Uh, Trent Alexander Arnold um, got a couple of things to say about about him, Rick. Um, he, uh, for example, he created um, five. He has created five or more chances in Liverpool's last three Premier League games, uh, and he's the first player to do that in three straight uh, league appearances for Liverpool Football Club since Steven Gerrard in October 2010. Um, and Trent's fifth chance that was created yesterday was, of course, the assist for Alisson's winner. Um, Gareth Southgate has been to watch two performances recently. He watched uh, the Manchester United-Liverpool and he watched, I believe it was Liverpool-Southampton. And in both of those games, Trent was utterly imperious. And the the way... I mean, if I was an England fan, I assume you being in Worcester, you might you might be an England fan. And if I was an England fan, I would I would be not just calling for Southgate to uh, resign if he doesn't pick Trent. I would be I don't know. I'd be considering getting a hitman. You know this 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 madman. This madness has got to be stopped. It's got to be nipped in the bud, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, Owen. I'm uh, I'm kind of glad you set me up for the Trent chat actually because um i've got some pretty strong opinions on that one i've i've had i've had a little bit of grief in the past so with um fans of other clubs and um i, I wrote an article a few a few couple of months back when trent was first dropped the england squad about it um i won't go into my opinions on england um I, i'm not a scouser as you can all tell but i, I definitely feel more scouse than english at times particularly watching the english football team play um the news seems to be that he's not getting picked. Um, I, I, I don't know how official it is. I don't know if this is just people trying to get a bit of a, a storm whipped up before the squad's announced, but Southgate just doesn't seem to fancy him. Uh, if Gareth Southgate can't work out how to get a player of Trent Alexander-Arnold's ability into his team, I think Gareth Southgate's in the wrong job. He's in the wrong sport. 
all right, he might want to go with a more solid traditional right back. He might want to pick uh, Reese James, for example. But to not be able to see the talent and the way that Trent can control and dictate games, I, I, I just from right back, I just don't get it. And now that the squads are worth a, a twenty-six man, not twenty-three man, I, it just beggars belief. Every single, every single pundit worth the salt and some who aren't worth the salt have gone on record as saying they'll be taking Trent. He's, he's a generational talent. All these other lads they're talking about, all these other right-backs, they're good, solid, proper right-backs. They are nothing wrong with them at all. I like a lot of them. But Trent Alexander-Arnold, he's redefined the position, all of that, before he's age of 22. He's, he's dictating games. That The stats you said there, Owen, he's He's a quarterback, he's a playmaker, he's a number 10, doing it all from right back. He's he's one of England's very, very best players, never mind just one of their very best right backs. I, I, just, I just cannot see any world in which he doesn't get picked for England. But you know what? It's their loss. I, you know, I'm, I'm gutted for Trent because he, he clearly wants it. He's a, he's a top pro. He wants to be performing and competing at the top level. But you know what? For Liverpool... It, I'm quite happy for him to be kept in cotton wool, wrapped up over the summer. Spend the summer with Jürgen and Thiago, working out how he's going to be playing with him. Spend the summer getting himself fit and ready for Liverpool, like he did a few years ago when he opted out of playing for the England under under something or others. I'm not too sure what it was when he pulled out to, to get himself fit and, you know, really crack on. And, you know, hey, Trent, he's our lad, and we all know we all know how good he is. For me, he's been the best player in the Premier League and for the last month. Um so, yeah, I'm flabbergasted by all of that, really. Yeah, marvellous answer. Exactly, yeah. I totally, totally understand. And for me, there's something telling about, you know, the reaction, uh, you know, on, on by, you know, non-Liverpool fans on social media, whatever platform you're on. And, uh, you know, from, from idiot pundits like uh, Danny Murphy, excuse, you know, to be so blunt, but he is a bit of an idiot. But, but this... But this like I say that because these people they have they are more than welcome to their opinion and if Gareth Southgate shares Danny Murphy's opinion that uh, you know uh, Liverpool have got problems because their playmakers at right back that's what Danny Murphy said or if da- Gareth Southgate shares the opinion that for example Trent is not good defensively or you know people need to recognize that these are just opinions and you can actually look up how they're doing defensively and for example uh, I've got some stats right in front of me as it happens of defensive actions this season comparing Trent Alexander-Arnold, Kyle Walker, Aaron Wan-Bissaka, Kieran Trippier and Rhys James and I'm sorry but I can't remember the uh, account where I got this image from but it's from uh, the stats are from fbref.com so it's all of England's right backs comparing them and who's at the top of the list for tackle percent Trent Alexander-Arnold with 56.4% of his tackles won uh, compared to 54.5 of Kyle Walker in second place and Aaron Wan-Bissaka who who is you know in, in 
the popular, uh, you know, collective unconscious or conscious or uh, the, of the, I don't know, of the more, you know, the people who don't actually check these things. People say that Aaron Wan-Bissaka is the best defensive right back in Europe. For example, I've seen nonsense like that spouted. And, but this, this is something wider about humanity. You can use this in any walk of life. You can say, well, look, here is my opinion. It could be anything. It could be about, for example, I think that... Um, you know, I can I can send an orange to the moon by throwing it, and you're perfectly welcome to that opinion. But if you look up, uh, you know, the uh, velocity and, and and the capabilities of the human body and the weight of an apple and air pressure and gravity, and you look things up, you can find that actually you can't throw an orange all the way to the moon, at least without a rocket. Um, I'm digressing a bit because I too I have strong feelings about this uh, about this you're absolutely right Rick that it does benefit Liverpool if indeed it's true that uh, Southgate has left England's best talent uh, out of the England squad Um, but uh, Holmes I want to talk about Trent the player Trent the man Trent's recent form because uh, CF underscore comps on Twitter put a Trent uh, nine minute long um, compilation of Trent Alexander-Arnold. I believe it's all from this season. There might be a few from last season as well. But it was it was it was an absolutely marvelous way of spending nine minutes of my life today, and I recommend that you all do that. But Holmes, Trent as a player. Um, what does he mean to you, for, especially his performance yesterday or in general? Go wherever you like with it, Holmes. But Trent is the question. Trent. I was, I was going to read you, um, actually mention the stats thing that, uh, that you know, Trent's been, he's been the best right, defensively right back in the Premiership this season, better than any of the other right backs. I, I don't get where they have this myth that Reese James or Wan-Bissaka are better defensively than him, or even Carl Walker. So... You know, I think people also, you know, people often say, you know, when they're talking about generational players, they they often talk about Saka or Martinelli or Foden, and you know, they never include Trent in it or or say who the best youngsters in the Premiership are. They always rival fans always exclude Trent and say, oh, Trent doesn't count. But if he had to, he's only 22. You know, he's more or less the same age bracket around like Haaland and you know. And some some of these other top youngsters around Europe. So, you know, I think people need to forget that you know Trent's been, been playing football for so for so long now, and he's won everything that people assume Trent must be like 26, 27, but he's still still only a kid. You know, still got loads of room to grow and take his game to the next level in terms of even attacking wise and defensively. And I think I think the one thing I, I liked about Trent this season is, you know, he's not hit the same heights as he's done the season before or, or previously but obviously that there's a context put into that in terms of you know the whole team hasn't played as well as it can do you know the, the fact that Trent's had to play next to so many different set partnerships um, has been difficult um, and the fact that um, Trent also had COVID he had an injury that also affected him as well so and it's difficult to play to your best when also you're playing with a team that's low in confidence but I think Trent's been the best right back in Europe 
a lot of these last four seasons. The only one you could probably say that rivals Trent is, is Kimmich, where he does play right back, but otherwise there's no one else. Trent's been better than Carl Walker for years now. Um, and I think people are quick to always kind of attack Trent for, you know, whenever he has a bad game defensively, you know, which is bound to happen. He's still learning, still learning his game, still grown as a player. And, you know, they, they, they can happen when you have this off days. And people are quick to just jump at him and say he's not a good defender. But we've seen Trent mark out some of the best, you know, wingers in Europe from, you know, from Sane to, you know, Song. You know, the list is endless. He's marked out some of the best ones in Europe, you know. And I think Trent is is very underrated defensively. I think for me, like, he, he epitomizes the team, like him and Hendo, because obviously, you know, a passion you have for a club and also with Trent because he's a local boy, you know, how much he loves the club, you know, and, you know, you saw how much passion there was for him, in, for example, in that Man United game, um, how much that meant to him, you know, being captain, you know, seeing that the game was captain and the performance he put in. As, and as, as, you know, as many have said as well tonight, you know, Trent's redefined that right-back position in terms of, you know, we've never seen a right-back that, you know, gets as many assists or create as many chances or can control a game from right back, you know, with, you know, just put on a passing clinic, which he did against United, you know, and I think, you know, we, we, you know, we were so lucky to have a player like Trent because of, you know, his club with the affection with the club, his passion to keep growing himself and, and becoming better in his position you know, I mean, you've seen, like I said, you've seen it as well this season, the fact that, you know, his defensive side of the game has improved tremendously. You know, it's rare Trent gets beaten one-on-one. You know, maybe a few years ago, that was a big issue. But nowadays, he doesn't get beaten one-on-one much. You know, and, just, and that's been the best one in one-on-one duels in the Premiership this season as well. So, I think, you know, I think people need to just realise, well, Trent's 22, you know. Um, and he's, like I said, he's still growing, still learning the game. So, you know... As a youngster, there are going to be times when you make, you know, mistakes. Even more senior players make those mistakes, but they have off games. But you're seeing in the last few games how good Trent's been. And if Southgate want to take Trent to, to the Euros, this shows how much full Southgate is. You know, let's not go on to him because I think he's a mediocre manager, Southgate. But it just shows, and it's better for Liverpool. If Trent's going to sit at home over the summer and rest up, perfect. You know, of course, yeah, it's going to be disappointing that he's not going from a personal level, but... I think he could use that fuel, that passion of not going or that hurtness of not going to then you know, make himself in the great, in the great possible shape as possible for the pre-season to, and to, you know, help Liverpool come back from this nightmare season. But I think, yeah, I think, you know, I'm, I'm glad we have Trent and I hope he says it right back. I'm not one of these people that believe Trent should go into midfield. I think he should stay right back. I don't see the point in remo- breaking up a good thing. You know, and Trent's good at right back, you know, and I think that's where he should stay for the future. Um, and I think he potentially could be our, you know, our next captain as well down the road. You know, and I think it'd be fitting for him to be captain because of, you know, everything he's done for the club. You know, and I'm pretty sure we're going to win more trophies with Trent down the line. And, you know, for me, you know, I can't, I can't speak enough about how much of an amazing player Trent is for us. And, you know, how much of a joy it is just watching him. And, you know, especially the fact that he came through our youth ranks, watching him, you know, just helping take his clubs to new heights. So, you know, Trent's for me is, is right now 
and has been for the last three years the best right back in Europe. And as I said, the only one that can touch him is is Joshua Kimmich. Otherwise, Trent Trent is world class. And anyone, any rival who says he's not world class, is talking rubbish. They are. They 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 they're talking absolute uh, poppycock, aren't they? They're absolute nonsense. You're totally right. Um, the benefit of him playing out wide is that he can get a lot of touches. I mean, you can also do that in midfield if you're a genius, like uh, Thiago, who had 120 touches yesterday. That's uh, the most on the pitch. I mean, I'm trying to th- look at the the West Bromwich Albion player with the most touches uh, was the goalkeeper with 49 touches but in terms of outfield players their uh, one of their defenders no it was Matthias Pereira their playmaker had 46 touches Trent Alexander-Arnold had 102 touches he had four shots he had five key passes his passing accuracy was 80 And if you're a playmaker, Kevin De Bruyne often posts about 73%. uh, Bruno Fernandes often 65, 68%. Trent had 80.6% passing accuracy yesterday. Absolutely unbelievable, unreal, out of this world. And um, I saw a lovely tweet from Yoni Weisberg, the brilliant uh, artist, LFC artist, and he says, whenever I see people questioning Trent's defensive capability, I want to punch a hole through my screen. We've had a back four of Trent, Robbo, plus whoever can lace up their boots all season, and only three teams have conceded less than us. Shut your noise hole. That's an excellent tweet from Yoni there. Um, but yeah, I want to move on to talk about Thiago, who I mentioned there. 120 touches yesterday. Absolutely nuts. Uh, the journalist David Lynch uh, said that, uh, you know, Thiago has gone up a level these past two games. Uh, yesterday, he, he had 120 touches. He also had more passes, 96. And passes in the opposition half, 77 than any other player today. But I disagree with David Lynch because it wasn't only in the last two games. I've been saying it for a while. Thiago has actually been brilliant despite the results in his last um, plenty of games. Uh, In fact, um, I went back to the 31st of January when we beat West Ham and he was posting 89.4% passing accuracy. Uh, and in midfield, anything over 84 is, is is astonishing, astonishingly good. So 89.4% against West Ham at the end of January. And he's had loads of them. Actually, in our last uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, in his last seven games for Liverpool, going all the way back to Arsenal on the 3rd of April, he has posted um, his worst game was against Manchester United when it was only 83.7%, which is still phenomenal. But, um, you know, his that was his worst game by far. His next worst game was when he came on as a sub for only 30 minutes in the second leg against Real Madrid. He had 88.1%. And apart from that, he's posted above 90% against West Bromwich Albion yesterday. Southampton, Newcastle, Leeds um, and Arsenal. So regardless of the result, Thiago... Um, but, but the beauty of it, Dan, is that it, it looks like the, the other players around him, I think, are learning more about Thiago and, and, and everybody seems more on his wavelength. And it's only going to be it's only going to be like Trent. It's only going to be just something that gives us pure joy to see uh, Thiago Alcantara play football in the beautiful red 
of Liverpool. Uh, well, just one more thing before I ask you to talk about Thiago is a stat from the marvellous Andrew Beasley, who uh, posted that Liverpool, when we play Thiago and Fabinho in midfield, when they start in midfield, we have won six, we have drawn one, and we have lost none. Uh, Dan, um, Thiago Alcantara, your thoughts, please. Well, I've, I've got I've got to be honest, um... There've been some mitigating circumstances this year, haven't it? But I, I have actually overall over the whole season been quite underwhelmed by him. But of course, he had a terrible injury. He had COVID, and when he come back from the injury, the season with the injuries has almost been a bit of a car crash. We've been fighting fires everywhere, so he's never been able to to play any games really with what you'd consider Liverpool's. First team. I mean, the, the the dream I think for most fans is to see that midfield of himself, Fabino, Jordan Henderson. I, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I don't think they've played in any games all three of them together. But although I've been so slightly underwhelmed with them through the season, I always sort of think back to those first couple of games he played when he played. I think he came on against Chelsea at half time, and he set like a Premier League record, didn't he, for 45 minutes in, in terms of the past completion. He absolutely worked the oracle. That was his first appearance, and I couldn't wait for him to play again. And I think then he got COVID, and then he come back against Everton, and he was actually, it gets forgotten about due to the Van Dyke injury and the controversial goal for Henderson. That was ruled out, but he was actually voted ban of the match in that game before Richarlison decided to, you know, practice his, his kung fu moves on us on a shin bone, and then he was out for three months. That said, from then when he came back, he was slightly, I think he was underwhelming, and the results wasn't helping. I think it, it took him a while, didn't it, to win at Anfield? We, I think we, we, he was in, although it wasn't necessarily due to him, he was obviously involved when we lost all them games. But slowly but surely, his form has started to pick up. And as you say, the players around him now are starting to pick up on him. Um, Bearing in mind what happened against Real Madrid, especially in the first leg, I think Jurgen Klopp will will wake up in cold sweats sometimes because we we you know of not picking Thiago in either of those games from the start. I think that was a massive mistake, and I think I think he he'll probably be aware of that Jurgen Klopp now because Thiago is really starting to to look good. Yesterday, even in the first half when we were struggling a bit, he was the shining light. He was getting obviously it helped that West Brom was sitting deep and allowing us the space, but he was getting on the ball. He was working it, he was working the angles, he was making some lovely little balls and fingers crossed this is now the start of Thiago really kicking on and I hope that, you know, next season if we can have a little bit more luck with the injuries and we can get a few of the better players around them. As I say it's it's all about that well-oiled machine and having all the cogs in the right place. And if 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 that if we get to see that, and he because he was bought, in my opinion, as the cherry on the icing and the, on the cake, and that and that was brilliant. But unfortunately, when he's come in, the rest of the cake has gone to the pot. You know what I mean? So hopefully, next season we sort of rebuild and we get to see the best of Thiago in a strong Liverpool team with the likes of Van Dijk, Gomez. Jordan Henderson, you know, Fabinho alongside him, as you just pointed out the stat there, but six out of seven games that we've won with the two of them in midfield, and obviously the one was the conservational draw, so possibly, well, it should have been seven out of seven, shouldn't it? The facts, you know, don't lie, they speak for themselves. So fingers crossed, you know, we're going to be able to see a lot more of them, and yet he is really improving, and he's going to be crucial 
in these remaining two games, I think. So, you know, good luck to Thiago. And hopefully, as I say, this is the start of things to come from him. Yeah, lovely stuff. Absolutely. I mean, I do, I do kind of disagree. I do. I mean, I do think that he's been he's been um, a lot better than he's been given credit for. But yes, as I've mentioned on previous shows, when when he has to turn around, that's when he's got a problem. When he's got to defend, and I love that um, uh, idea about the cake. Yes, because it is like the the actual, uh, you know, part of the the sponge bit. The center of the cake has sort of collapsed, and so he's had to. I don't know. He's had to. He's had to defend a lot more, and but I do think there's something in these Bisuma rumours, or, or or something. Someone you know, defensive midfielder, brilliant, solid, you know, player that 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 would really help as well. So if Henderson is injured, that we could play, for example, Fabinho, Bisuma, and Thiago to 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 unpick all the locks. Um, it's great stuff. It was a great game. I want to move on. I want to move on from West Bromwich Albion. I mean. In the context of the season, we've got two big ones left, we, we and that's it. We've we've got Burnley and Crystal Palace. I don't know if you saw Crystal Palace on the weekend, Rick, but they 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 came from behind twice, and they look like a team that are desperate to give Uncle Roy um, a send off. That's what they look like to me. I don't know. I haven't. I don't know for sure. I haven't heard if Roy Hodgson is definitely retiring this season. But they, they, they look like they had a lot of fight in them. But a team that always has a lot of fight is Burnley. Um, we won't have Diogo Jota, and I just wonder how your feelings are before we play uh, Sean Dyche's. Um, you know, they're not tricky, Burnley. Are they're sort of, you know, f- ferocious at times. Burnley, what do you think, Rick? It's a uh, Burnley away always sounds and feels like a game that we struggle with. But actually, I think our record there recently has been pretty good. We do they cause us problems, Burnley, and obviously they, you know, earlier on in the season at Anfield. But at Turf Moor. I, I might be wrong, but I feel like we've won there maybe the last three or four games. Times we, we, we've visited, we've we've won uh, five of the last six games there. Yeah, win, win, loss, win, win, win. So that that's it. I mean, it, it it feels like it's a graft, and it will be a graft. It, it's going to be a struggle. It's going to be tough. We know what they're about, and we know where we've got issues and weaknesses at the moment at, at centre back, and and that almost plays into their hands and the way that they go about it in a similar way that it. it it did with Sam Allardyce's uh, uh, West Brom. I just think now the team, the season's been a disaster. The season's not gone the way that anybody planned, hoped, even thought, or even ever considered it going. But with all the circumstances, with everything that's that's taken place, to to be in the in with a chance of of actually getting some success out of it, to actually still it still be. It's now May and the season's still alive, unlike Everton's, for example. It's it's just credit to everybody involved. And you know the lads, they are up for this now because, unlike yourself, Owen and Nick off to the toilet, uh, there was no no sign of, of, of the boys chucking in the towel um, at the Hawthorns on, at the weekend or yesterday. So... I know they're going to be up for it against Burnley, and they know what to do. They know what to expect, and I, and they did. I mean, Burnley didn't look good at the weekend. Saying that, they always up the game for, for a game against Liverpool. But I do back us to to get that 
to get that result that we need. And then it's on to Palace. That, I mean, I just hope it's not coming down to goal difference because I'll tell you what, I can't take a game, another game at the end of the season against Palace where goal difference is, is, in, is a factor. So I, I just hope they get the result tomorrow for um, Leicester and, uh, and Chelsea goes away. The, the, at least goal difference isn't going to be such a key factor because, as I said, like, my heart can't take it. Particularly because I, I think I mentioned this to you, Owen. I've, I've got to get it in. I, I'm, I'm going to Anfield on Sunday. I, I'm one of the lucky ten thousand. So, you know, the boys have, del- have given me the perfect end to my season. Hopefully, and I just hope they uh, they see it through. Which, you know, I, I've got every faith that they will. I think um, it's going to be tough. It's going to be the same lads going again. I think uh, there's not really anyone else around. Although there's a bit of rumour that Millie might be back and, and, and maybe Ox, but Ox hasn't really had a kick all season, so I can't see him being put in for the last two. But yeah, you've got to back the boys. After everything they've done the last month, after everything they've given us, I just think, uh, up the Reds. Come on, boys. We can see this through. We can see it through. Let's have a big celebration on Sunday. I mean, it's a beautiful answer. I'm so happy for you. Really, I'm, I'm totally delighted that you'll be there. You'll have to sing a song for all of us, everyone, all of the listeners, everybody here that, uh, you know, won't be able to make it, just, uh, you know, make sure you sing your heart out. I'm sure you will. It's absolutely brilliant. But yeah, before Sunday, we've got to focus on Burnley. And I just wonder what your th- what, what what your thoughts are, Holmes, uh, before that big match. Yeah, I think uh, everything's kind of said there in terms of, um, I think, we, you know, I think obviously we've got a really good record at Burnley. Um, I think the worry was the West Brom game, that's where we didn't have a good record. But Burnley, we have the decent record um, I think the only thing with, with Burnley I think I was looking at some statistics now um, they are they've got 25.5% um, at winning aerials so the best in the premiership for that and I think they scored the seven most uh, set piece goals with 13 um, so I think the only thing concerned with Burnley is the fact that you know they are going to with Sean Dykes going to play a lot of kind of rugby football uh, lots of long balls, set pieces, throw-ins, and try to make the ball the game as scrappy as possible. Um, so I think obviously the concern could be there is the case of um, will our players, especially Williams, be able to cope with that kind of football um, and not come on under pressure from it. Um, so I think it's going to be it's going to be another big one because obviously Burnley are going to have fans there, so. They are going to be up for it, but I should expect us to be winning that still. You know, the only concern is obviously, again, is as our strikers. I feel like even in that West Brom game, we should have been out of sight. We missed too many chances again, to be honest. And it should have been a late Allison goal for us to win it. So without Jota being there, it's a kind of a blow. Big one, actually, because of his way of picking up key goals. Because I also thought that Manu in that West Brom game wasn't great again. Um, and I thought Bobby missed a simple chance again. So we, we're going to need our forwards to step up. You know, Salah's been doing his part. We need the others two, Firmino and, and uh, Manu to step up for these last two games and actually be more clinical. Because, you know, if it does come to goal difference, we ought to be kicking our heels saying, well, if Manu scored this goal, Bobby scored this goal, um, we'd have a better goal difference. So, you know, we should go into that game knowing that Chelsea and Leicester play tomorrow. So one of them is going to drop points or both drop points. 
and they're going to be under huge pressure going to that game now. And then if we, it's in our destiny. We, I want to win. I want us to win the two games rather than going into the final day of the season relying on some kind of goal difference. So I do think like if we can be clinical, take our chances, and make sure that you know we protect Reese Williams um, and ensure that you know Burnley don't kind of like target him and bully him, then we should get past Burnley. And, you know, realistically, say we have a good record there, so we should do. So we just need collectively the whole team to pull, another, pull out another big performance because, obviously, you know, they are going to be tired with the amount of games they have to play within a space of seven days. But, you know, this is, this, this is like what Fergie used to say, squeaky bum time. You know, this is going to... There's no point in beating Man United and West Brom than failing to beat Burnley. You know, they should be in holiday mode as well even if they have fans, because they've got nothing to play for. So, yeah, it's just, it's just for us to go there and be clinical and get an early goal, because we should be beating Burnley. And the same like with Palace, we should be we should be winning the last two games comfortably. That's a great answer. That's a great answer. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know if the fans are there. It might be a huge motivation. I do worry about the... Yeah, I think normally they would be on the beach, but maybe, yeah, as you said, if we get the first goal, that would be... That would be uh, absolutely wonderful if we could, because then they could start switching off. But um, yeah, Burnley, I am worried about this one. I, you know, I was worried before West Brom, and I'm worried about Burnley. I'm going to be terrified uh, on Sunday if we still have a chance. Um, but uh, Burnley are looking to complete their first league double over Liverpool since the 1929-30 season, according to Google. After they ended, uh, of course, our 68-game unbeaten home run earlier this season, um, they're ah, oh, they're the right, they're the, they've got exactly the right mentality to spoil a party. Chris Wood has been in good form, but on the other hand, Dan, if I look at the form table as I am now for the last seven games, uh, Burnley are 18th. Uh, with uh, loss, 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 win, loss, win, loss is their record in the last seven games, whereas uh, Liverpool are first in that table with win, win, draw, draw, win, win, win. Um, and so it's there, there's cause for optimism uh, and there's cause for pessimism. And I just wonder where you stand on it, Dan. Um, which one are you? Well, I think the thing is it's a bit of a paradox at the moment, isn't it? Because as you quite rightly say, Owen, we are top of the form guide in terms of results. But I think as fans who've watched the game, I think we'd all know we're not playing well. We're not in great, you know, we're not in great form playing wise, although we're getting the results. So going into this game, I'm absolutely terrified, just the same as I was going into the West Brom game, I, it's going to be another grind for me. Um, and, and and it might be another late goal. And I, um, as soon as the elation was wore off from yesterday's game, I very quickly turned me focus to, to this game and started just worrying about it and thought, oh, I can't put myself through another one of those again on Wednesday, sitting there feeling absolutely sick, watching us sort of struggle and and go through the motions, and, and, and you know with our sort of defensive sort of the, the, young, the younger lads at the back, the inexperienced lads, it's going to be a struggle for them. I was actually thinking yesterday evening, 
it might be a game where I know people don't like to see it, but maybe bring Fabino back in for young Reese Williams because he's starting to look very nervous for me. Or then the stat you pointed to before, I seen that and I thought six six out of seven wins. I thought, well, yeah, maybe you know you can't you can't argue with the stats. But this is a game I'm really worried about. It's a funny thing, no football, because you can worry yourself about everything. And and I'll tell you a little thing: Burnley lost four nil on Saturday, was it against Leeds? Now, if they'd won that game four nil, you'd think, oh, they're in great form going into it. Because he lost it four nil, you flip it round the other way and you think, oh, Sean Dice is not going to be happy with that. He'll have the many. He'll tell them straight they're not on the beach. They've got two important games. So you you can sort of worry yourself about everything. And you flip it round as a fan, and always sort of see the heart, you know, the half empty glass, the negatives. But that said, it's going to be tough. It's going to be another struggle for us. I just fingers crossed, toes crossed, everything crossed. We can sort of grind out the results. I don't expect it to be a vintage performance. I don't expect it to be a big win. I'd take one nil. I'd take two one. I'd take absolutely anything we can get. And then obviously that then flips the onus back onto Chelsea and Leicester and what they've done the night before. And we'll see. We'll see what we'll see what happens with that. As long as we get our results, I'm, I'm sure we'll be fine. I know it could be tight on the goal difference, but I, I just think uh, with the games that there is, I think as long as we win our games, we we, we will get it. But it's not going to be easy. And it's a funny thing because if we do beat Burnley, I'll then suddenly flick straight onto Crystal Palace, and I'll have worried myself into everything about Crystal Palace about how they'll want revenge for the seven 0 and how they're always tricky. You know, at home with some of their pacier players on the break, and I was a hard could stun us. Now Hodgson could come back to haunt us, and I'll have all these things going through my head. But for now, I've just got to focus on Burnley, and we'll wait and see what happens on Wednesday. Wonderful answer. Yeah, I mean, it, you can really look at things from all kinds of angles, couldn't you? Um, Burnley's last results, I mean, you mentioned the 4-0. Um, before that, they beat Fulham 2-0, no great shakes. Before that, they lost to West Ham 2-1. Uh, before that, they beat Wolves 4-0 on April the 25th. Before that, they lost to United. Before that, they lost to Newcastle. Before that, they lost to Southampton. So they can turn it on. I mean, 4-0 against Wolves, that was uh, away from home as well. That was a phenomenal result. But uh, yeah, they're patchy at best. And one player who I think will still be missing is Nick Pope because they had Bailey Peacock Farrell, one of the greatest named goalkeepers in Premier League history. Uh, Bailey Peacock Farrell um, standing in and he was pretty average, which is um, a huge step down from the brilliance of Nick Pope, again unrecognised by that numbskull. Um, uh, Gareth Southgate. But uh, just finally... um, about Burnley, I just want to. I just want a prediction from all of you. Are we going to do it? I mean, you you sounded optimistic before. Um, of course, you you want you really want us to, especially want us to win, Rick, because we got to the Palace on on Sunday, and 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 you're going, and it, it will be a marvelous thing if we're still in this hunt for the top four. But uh, you know, what's your prediction, Rick, against Burnley? Oh, go on then. You've uh, put me on the spot. I'll, I'm gonna. I'm going to go for 3-1, 3-1 Liverpool. Uh, it's not 2-1 Liverpool, 2-1 Liverpool. It's like Dan said, I know it's going to be a graft. I know it's going to be a grind. So I'm optimistically with my 3-1 there. But now 2-1, it's, uh, 
they're going to come at us because they do because they they fancy it and they'll add the crowd in which is a point that which i'd forgotten about um you know so maybe the crowd are going to be pushing them to try and step up a bit more and entertain a little bit more we might get a chance at the other end we've just got to take our chances that's been the thing we haven't been doing for for months and if we can take our chances then i back us to win so yeah i'll stick one with two one but yeah we'll see Two one, yeah, it sounds terrifying. It sounds absolute. It's not squeaky bum time. It's it's um it's palpitating heart. It's a lot more serious than that. Um, Holmes, what about you? Got a prediction for Burnley, please. Um, tough one. Definitely Burnley will score. Uh, I'm torn between a two one Liverpool and a three one Liverpool. Um, I'll probably stick my neckline two one. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if we get three one. I like it. I like it. 2-1, possibly 3-1. Excellent stuff. And um, um, I'm going to go, I think I'm going to go 4-2 to Liverpool. I think it's going to be another sort of uh, end-to-end, topsy-turvy, higgledy-piggledy, helter-skelter kind of affair. Um, What about you, Dan? The final word, uh, your prediction against Burnley, please. Well, that one's a sort of just parrot what uh, Rick and, and Holmes have said. Yeah, I think it's it's it's. It, I, I'm going to go with two one. I hate predictions, but I think it's going to be another hot, gnarly, horrible game, horrible ninety minutes that we're all going to have to endure. Ninety plus five, whatever it is. Fingers crossed, we can get the win. But yeah, it's going to be a horrible game. It might take another Alison Becker winner. Who knows? I, I certainly hope we're not in a situation where we see him coming up in injury time, but. If that's what it takes, that's what it takes. But, I think, yeah, I think it's going to be another grind. But, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go for 2-1 and sort of make it, a, make it a full house from the guys on the panel anyway. Well, yeah, I mean, we can all predict wins. That's excellent stuff. Um, but thank you very much. Yeah, I think I think you're probably right. Yeah, it's likely to be to be tense and gnarly, as you said. Um, fantastic stuff. Thank you very much, guys. But just before we go, um, just want to... You know, give you the opportunity to talk about your particular project. So, Dan, going back to you, can you tell our listeners about the Mighty Reds TV, please? Uh, I'm hesitant to call myself the new kid because I'm I'm 39, pushing 40 this year, but I'm the new source at new source of their Liverpool accounts on the block. I didn't actually know how many there was on YouTube actually until the start. They were never thought there's only a few, but there's absolutely about a million. So at the minute, I am struggling a bit to get any. Um, get any traction so if anyone's out there and you want to give me give me um, a follow feel free i'm just sort of toying with various things at the moment so i play a bit of guitar so i've been doing some sort of liverpool songs on there and teaching people the words i've done some match reviews match previews um yeah so just just get involved in there. any feedback i've been putting some quizzes on there little two minute quizzes basically at the minute it's just new and I'm, i wasn't really planning on starting it till next season so i'm just using from what i get from now to sort of the end of the season, just as a sort of um, learning experience, see what people like, you know, see what people don't like, basically, take from there. So, yeah, anyone, Mighty Dad's um, television on YouTube, and I'm on Twitter, hit me up. Can't wait to, to speak to people, and hopefully we'll get a few new, few new followers. Fantastic. Yeah, please do that, listeners, absolutely, at the Mighty Reds TV on Twitter. Holmes, tell us uh, also about the Yanks of the Cup, please. Yeah, yes, it's the Yanks Cup. We're, we're a fairly new podcast as well. We only started um, last September. So it's it's two, me, two Brits and two Yanks uh, hosting it. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, we've been, we've been doing like quite a lot of different things from watch-alongs to 
uh, previews to post matches to special guests um, coming on and shows. I mean, we've had luckily like James Pierce. We've had um, a few of the Android rap lads on Copish. So yeah, we've done a lot of collaborations with other accounts as well. So we're always looking to um, connect with other LSC podcasts or even just sort of podcasts to build relationships. Um, and we're on our road to 500 subscribers. We've just gone to 356 today. So um, yeah, so, so so yeah, so you know you can give us a follow at Yanks the Cop. Um, we are on Twitter, YouTube, Spotify, Apple. Um, so just yeah, on Instagram as well. So just go give Yanks the Cop a follow. Hit the subscribe button as well. Appreciate that. Um, we have more, a lot more exciting content and special guests coming up, for, you know, before the end of the season and over the summer as well. So, um, yeah, check us out. Yanks the Cop. Absolutely terrific. Thank you very much, Holmes. And um, yeah, Rick, uh, you're you're a writer. You've done lots of lots of pieces uh, for M- Empire of the Cop, amongst other things. Um, do you have any particular projects at the moment, Rick? Yeah, uh, thanks, Owen, for asking. I, uh, you know, I, I started writing about Liverpool and 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 fan life supporting the Reds. So it's really, I kind of chose the worst time to start doing it. I I started in about February time, January, February, really, just putting my words down. And you know, I should have done it when we were good, <laughs> but instead I chose it until we started losing every game. You know, I think I needed it. I needed to be able to get get stuff out off my chest and just share my thoughts and and it was it's quite a cathartic experience i mean i i i'm i'm obviously not as good looking as as dan and holmes so i, I have to hide can't go on the screen and, and do these podcasts and things so instead of i'll just try to you know write a few words down but i um yeah it's been really good and I, i've been pleased with how it's gone empire of the cop have been very kind and published Quite a few pieces of mine now. Uh, Explore Liverpool and Scouse Scene are two other accounts I'd, I'd give a shout out to because they, uh, they they talk about life within the city and they they very kindly invited me to write a piece for them um, as a as a as a visitor to the city on a regular basis. So uh, you know I did that and I'm really enjoying it. I, I'm, I'm liking how it's going and I'll just keep plugging away, reacting to things that go on. Um, whether it be match reviews or, or match previews or just kind of general feelings. I try and I, I probably I'm a bit emotional, so I get a bit carried away sometimes. And I think I end up talking about that. I do perhaps more than the actual um, tactics and things themselves. But um, yeah, no, it's, it's I've, I've been enjoying it and, you know, I hope it continues. No, it's a great answer. And, uh, you know, football is an emotional game. If we didn't get emotional, we probably wouldn't watch it. So it's absolutely um, excellent themes. Uh, one of the many themes that this beautiful game uh, gives us. Uh, um, so thank you very much, uh, Rick and, and, and Dan and Holmes. Thank you, all three of you. It's been a real joy talking to you. And, um, you know, take care. Have uh, Enjoy the rest of your evenings. Yeah, cheers. Yeah, cheers.